Well, we're in the book of John once again, John chapter 13. We've already read the initial part of the passage. Pastor Matt brought us up to this second major division of John's gospel. And very quickly, chapters 1 through 12 were all about Jesus' public preaching and presentation to the world. Chapters 13 through 21 in the book of John are primarily about Jesus' private ministry to his own disciples. Now, interestingly, chapter 13 all the way, all the way through chapter 19 in verse 25, all of that occurs between Wednesday or Thursday through Monday of the next week. So nearly half of the book of John happens in that three or four day span of time. And so very, very important passage of scripture. Every, of course, there's no unimportant passage of scripture, but this one has a lot to do with the purpose for his coming. So we entered today the second main division. Matt preached about the last words of Christ. And why did he call the, the Jesus last word. Why did he call it Jesus last word? Well, he explained it, but just to reiterate, Jesus had performed seven signs uh, in front of the people for the purpose of giving people the public evidence of his identity, his authority and his power. His kingdom had come. He was the light in the darkness. He was the son of God. He was there to save everyone that would come to him. If they wanted to come, they could come. Everyone that came to him uh, in faith, he never denied. And it's the same today. But uh, if they would not come, there's going to come a time when they could not come. I want to reiterate this point. God does not stand in line, hat in hand, hoping that we will finally give him a little bit of attention and hopefully that we will allow him to save us. We have a, mis we have a misconception about God in heaven. Uh, God's not obligated to just stand over there in the corner and wait for us to do all we want to do in life and sin till we're tired of it and then call on him to save us. It's very important that we understand that. Listen to the Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. And it goes on to explain the cleansing from our sins and iniquities in that passage in Isaiah chapter 55. I'm afraid that in my uh, many years of ministry, I've seen people that think, well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to live it my way for a while. And then there'll come a time when I'll just call out to the Lord. Well, listen, if we keep saying no to Jesus, keep saying no to God, there can come a time that he can harden our heart and we'll never even want to come again. That's what happened to Pharaoh. It happened to many uh, in the scriptures. We have an example of this in our passage and his name is Judas. And we're going to come to that in just a minute. Now, I'm going to look at this chapter 13 in a very broad way. It's a narrative. Uh, I was laying out sermons uh, for the book of John, and uh, I saw at least five sermons in chapter 13. But uh, I, with any hope of being able to finish the book of John before my teeth fall out, I felt like I needed to, uh, to move ahead a little bit with this one. And so uh, I'm going to look at it. And so what you can do, instead of having five sermons, I'm going to have five points. So what you can do is tell your grandkids, I was there today, Pastor Phil preached five sermons in one. So you'll be able to do that. Let's look today at the truth about love. Everybody talks about love. I almost brought that old song, love, love, everybody needs love. I almost brought that in and played it this morning. Um, love, the whole world's talking about love. Very few people understand what love really is. And we want to see in this passage of scripture, the truth about love. In verses one through 11, we read, and I just wonder, have you ever been anticipating an event or a meeting 
The outcome of such meeting is going to be life-altering. Uh, maybe you are you were an investor or you wanted to meet with an investor about a startup business. You've had years of planning and work and sacrifice is hanging on your presentation to this investor and you're just scared to death about it and biting your fingernails. Or maybe uh, it's a situation where you were incarcerated and now you're going to have to appear before a parole board and everything depends upon the meeting, your future, your freedom, and all of those kinds of things. This is a true story I'm going to share. Or maybe you're a student and you have pulled a bonehead prank and you must face the principal to explain why you thought it was a good idea to take the football coach's Volkswagen and put it in the school cafeteria and draw a mustache on the hood. <laughs> Pastor Phil, did you do that? No, <laughs> but it did happen in my city when I was a junior in high school. Absolutely interesting. So, I mean, big meetings, big events, uh, they, can, they, can be, they can make you be full of angst. But in these verses, the first four verses especially, I think we find that Jesus is very settled in his purpose. He's accepting of his coming sacrifice. He is confident of his resurrection. He is constant in his love toward his father, his father toward him, and his love toward his own. Jesus was not surprised. Jesus was not. Now he's going to go to Gethsemane when he thinks about the physical aspect of the pain and the hurt that he's going to go through. He suffers. He sweats, as it were, great, great drops of blood, the Bible says. But he's not wondering. And how is it that he's able to come to that minute, that moment with a such settled spirit. Listen to those verses again. It was before the feast of Passover. He knew that the hour had come and that he would depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose up and did something amazing. He was settled in his situation. So I want you to know this, write it down on your sheet. We can love, we can love others when we are confident of God's love. When you are totally convinced that, the love, that God loves you, then you can be loving if you know your love. Jesus knew who he was in verse number one. He called God his father. He knew that that relationship with his father was permanent. Nothing could change it. He was the everlasting son of God who was the son of the everlasting father. And by the way, when you hear somebody say that the Muslims worship the same God that we do, remember this, we worship the only begotten son of the father. Islam, Allah has no sons, not the same God. Make sure you understand that. And there's a lot of evangelicals saying that. It is not true. He knew where he came from, verse number three. He came from his father. His father sent him. The eternal plan was that Jesus would lay aside some aspects of his deity. He would take a human body. He would live as a human. He would experience life as it is, and what a wonderful, wonderful thought that our Jesus, the one who died for us and is our Savior, who is our high priest, who ever lives to make intercession for us, he was tempted and tested in all points as we are. He lived as a human. He knows what it is to be hungry and tired and lonely and rejected. He, he knows all of that. Aren't you glad we've got a high priest who understands us? 
Jesus. That's who he is. He took on a human body. He lived as we do. He experienced life as it is. He lived without ever sinning. And then he sacrificed himself at Calvary to make redemption and forgiveness available to all of us. So he knew where he came from. He knew what he was about. He knew where he was going. (laughs) He was going back to his father. When we get to chapter 17, it'll be a point we really emphasize. He's going to pray, Father, return me to the glory I had with you at the beginning. He knew what he had to endure before he sat down at the Father's right hand, but he looked beyond the cross to the throne. The Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 12, 2. He said, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He wasn't happy to hang up there naked before the world. He didn't like the shame of the crucifixion. Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. He didn't, he didn't enjoy that part of it, but he looked beyond that and he has despised that shame, yet he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I just want you to say, I want to say something to you. The redeemed saints are the joy that is set before him. The return to his glory is the joy that was set before him. The love of the father that is eternal is the joy that is set before him. And believers, I just want us to really remember today that believers, when we, when we trust him and love him and follow him, it's something that really is a joy to Jesus. You know who you are? You are someone who makes Jesus happy. If you are a believer, how many of you believe in Jesus? Say amen. Amen. All right, it makes him happy to know that there are redeemed people, people who have believed the message, received him, and have become followers of Jesus. We're like that. We love to see our kids and our grandkids and see what they do and how they grow and how they become more like us and they take on the image uh, of the family. It makes us happy. This This is Jesus. He had a joy that was set before him. And let me sum it up by saying, you know, you can endure a lot when you know you're loved. When you know you're loved, you can endure a lot. Well, he knew what he had as well. Knew where he was from, knew where he was going, and he knew what he had. Verse 3 said he had everything. He had all authority and power and all possessions. He inherits everything, the Bible says. Kind of reminds me of the foundation of the Great Commission, doesn't it, you? The foundation of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, all things have been given to me in heaven and earth. It says, it's all mine, all authority and all power and all the possessions and all the treasures and all of eternity. It's all mine. So let me tell you what you need to do. I've got this authority. Now let me tell you what you can do and go in my authority. He had all authority. It's all authority. It's been given to me on heaven and earth and go. So somebody say was, yeah, but there was a betrayer in the midst. Yes, Satan was in the background working to destroy him and his mission. Of course, but these agents in the background, Judas and his his indwelling demon and the devil himself, they are all agents of the plot. They are guilty for their part of the plot. But I just want everybody to know this morning that even the devil's activity are under the control of God Almighty. I just want you to know Acts chapter 2 in the very first sermon that was preached after Pentecost, Paul, Peter said so very clearly that you crucified the son of life, the prince of life, but I just want you to know that it was according to the predetermined counsel of the Father. God planned it. Jesus didn't die a martyr's death at the cross because he just couldn't find any way out of it. He came for the purpose of going to the cross to pay for your sin and mine. 
This is what he did. He knew what he had. Now, what about this? What does this mean for you and for me? I want to make applications as we go. It's a, it's a long passage. What does it mean? Well, let me ask you, are you a child of God? If you are, then know this. You were made by God. He's the author of your life. You are loved by your heavenly father. You are headed to God in his heaven. And you may endure hard times and great pains on the journey, but I want you to know that you're loved and you're safe and you're secure in God's loving arms. And as a child of the father, you are in line for an inheritance. And you see, Jesus was told that he had all things, all power, all authority, all possession, all treasures. They're all his. But here's what the Bible says. Brother Marty loves this verse and he quotes it all the time. That's this passage that is, is that we are in line for an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, that's reserved in heaven for us, 1 Peter 1, 4. Rope. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, listen to these words, heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. You know, I don't have great possessions on this earth, but my inheritance is out of this world and indescribable. This morning, as you're sitting here this morning, just always remember there's a joy set before you. There's always hope beyond the pain. There's always something the other side of death. We, I went away on a vacation and three people died. I want you to know that those widows that are, that are lamenting the loss of their loved ones still have a joy set before them because in every case they were believers. They're going to see them again on the other side and not only that, but they're going to see them and they're going to see them in all the glory of heaven living in that wonderful place and I just want you to know that we possess everything because everything that is an inheritance coming to Jesus as the son of God, he has made us sons and daughters, heirs and joint heirs with Christ and what's coming to Jesus is coming to you. How many of you believe in Jesus? Say amen. amen. How many of you don't have a whole lot on earth? Raise your hand. Well, I just want you to know you got everything coming to you. Be encouraged this morning. You know, when we have and understand, when, when we can love when we are confident of God's love, you're a child of God. Seth, I want you to read that next passage, if you would, please. Verses 12 through 17. He's my reader today. Starting verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Hmm. Here's another thought for you this morning. We can serve humbly. We can serve humbly when we are confident of God's love. What did Jesus do as he approached his appointment at the cross? Well, because of verses 1 through 4, he knew where he was from. 
He knew who he was. He knew where he was from. He knew where he was going. And he knew what he had in store because he knew all of those things. It was settled in his heart. Because he knew that, then what was he able to do? He was able to lay aside his garments after supper, not before. He gave everyone there ample time to do this service. He gave all of them. They had ample time. It was after supper. They'd already eaten the Passover meal. And he got up from the table, the scripture says, laid aside his garments, and he did the most menial task, the one assigned to the lowest slaves, the task of washing feet. Now, there's all kinds of spiritual meaning in every aspect of the event. We've preached about it in the past. Pastor Jonathan preached an excellent sermon on this passage. There's a lot of meaning here, the meaning of of every aspect, such as total once-for-all cleansing at the cross of Christ, but as well the daily washing of the filth of daily sin. But what I want to emphasize today is this, is who this was and what he was doing. He was the eternal Son of God, the owner of everything, who is settled in his identity, settled in his destiny, settled in his worth, and he is returning to glory. So with all of that knowledge, look at verse number, look if you would there, verse number three, Jesus knowing. In other words, he had this knowledge, he had this settled understanding in his mind. So knowing all of these things, with this knowledge and confidence, he bowed at the feet of his disciples and he set us an example. Jesus set us an example that we should follow in his steps. There's several things here. One, we call him Lord. This is what it says here. If you call me Lord, it says you call me Lord. And it is true because I am your Lord. He said, um, if you call me Lord and teacher and I've washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. We call him Lord. Jesus is Lord. The disciples have been walking with him for over three years. They know he's Lord. They know he is God. I preached a Christmas series not long ago from Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If we confess the Lord Jesus... And we believe in our, with our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Lord, that he is God, that he is divine. We call him Lord and he is Lord. Well, the disciples knew that was true. They've been walking with him for over three years. And with every sign, wonder, or miracle, he had proven who he was. He's the Lord. He was the Lord able to supply what is lacking, whether it's wine at a wedding or food enough for 5,000 men and all of their families from a sack lunch. He is master of the wind and waves, and he can walk on the water. He can walk right on top of every storm that arose in their lives. He has proved his power by healing in person and healing from a distance and then the ultimate healing a dead man he raised from the dead his name was Lazarus they knew he was the Lord he understood he said now look he said you've seen what I've done do you know what I've done to you do you know what I just did I'm settled in my position I'm settled in my possession I'm settled in my future I'm settled in my destiny I understand the outcome of all things so let me wash these feet for you and I'm your Lord. We call him teacher, rabbi, one worthy of following, one worthy of emulation. Uh, we're dedicating our lives to you, Lord Jesus. And I just want to say this, by the way, it's very doubtful that Jesus is our Lord if he's not also our teacher and example. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So he's Lord, but he washed feet. He's teacher or rabbi, but he washed feet. And folks, we are blessed if we follow his example. We are blessed if we follow his example. Look at verse number 17. If you know these things, 
Blessed are you if you do them. It's not enough to know these things. We are blessed if we do these things. Jesus was settled in his person, his purpose, his worth, and his destiny. Therefore, he could wash feet. You know, an evidence of where, of, in our own personal life, of if we really understand our position in Christ is that we can lay aside all pomp and circumstance. We can lay aside all pride and arrogance. We can lay aside this idea of, of the pecking order of who's most important and who's more superior. We can just lay that all aside because we have it all settled. We know what the future is. We've got a joy set before us just like Jesus did. We know where we're headed. We know how it all turns out. I don't have to worry about it today. I, I, can, I can serve. I can be humble. I can I can help other people. I can do things that are menial. You know, settled saints are secured saints. They're secure. Settled saints are humble saints. Settled saints are serving saints. And settled saints are sent saints. We're not greater than the one who sends us. Servants are not greater than their master. And if our master bowed down to become obedient to the death of the cross, why should it be surprising that Jesus expects us to serve one another? Look at verse number seven. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You know, in Christianity today, especially evangelicalism, we've gotten to the place where we equate the study of something to the doing of something. In other words, we, we want to talk about prayer and so instead of praying, we study prayer, and then we think we've accomplished this whole idea of prayer. We want to become evangelists, or we want to make disciples, or we want to share the gospel. And so we study all about it in all kinds of methods, and we read books, and we have all kinds of seminars. And we do that. We study it all up. But do we ever get around to actually doing that, opening our mouth wide, letting the Lord fill it so that we can talk to people and share the good news of the gospel? The study of something, the understanding of something is not the performance of something. You can study swimming all you want to until you jump in the water. This is the point. He says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you. Said, you've seen me. You've observed me. You know who I am. You know where I came from. You know who my father is. You know my power and authority. You know all about me. You know my destiny. And I've already told you three times or four already that we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to betray me into the hands of the Romans. They're going to crucify me, bury me. I'm going to rise on the third day. This is all coming. But in spite of all of that, you know these things. But I am serving you here tonight. I am washing. I am doing what is necessary. I see a need and I'm feeling it. I see a service and I'm performing it. I see a hurt and I'm trying to heal it. I see a lack and I'm trying to supply it. I am doing something. Boy, Pastor Josh nailed it last week when he said, what are we doing with what God has given us? Boy, this is so important, my friends. Blessed are you, not only if you know them, but if you do them. We're not going to read the long passage 18 to 30, but I need to refer to it. Something else we can do. Well, let, let me, let me, I got one little, one little point to make, one little illustration to give. And Dean Dawson's sitting back here, and Dean told a story not long ago in a class he was teaching, and it was so appropriate to what we're talking about here this morning. Dean went out from our church as a missionary, first to Jamaica, later to Moldova. And he and Karen served there and helped in establishing churches and building up 
uh, church leaders and just had a wonderful ministry there. And, and uh, they were serving well, while they were there in a certain city that I can't even remember what you said or name, but uh, they were in Moldova and they went to a church. They liked the church. They went in and wanted to join the church. And so the pastor of this church, knowing that he's a missionary, that he had all kinds of tasks asking the question, he says, okay, Dean, he says, we're happy to have you come be a part. Now, what is going to be your area of service and ministry within our church. How is it that you are going to be a part of what's going on? Oh, you don't understand. I'm the missionary. I, I, this is what I do. I'm a missionary and I, you know, I got all these. He said, that's great. That's what you're doing. That's what your vocation is. But as a part of this church, how are you going to serve? In our nation, it seems that the government has been the place that everybody pulls up two plugs in and sucks out of as we get further and further down the road to socialism. The church isn't supposed to be that way. The church is supposed to be the place where with our gifts and abilities, talents, and things that God has given us, we come to the church and say, like Isaiah did, Lord, here am I, send me. You see, blessed are you if you do these things. Number three, and quickly, we, we can endure betrayal and hypocrisy when we are confident of God's love. It's all about God's love. When I'm loved and I'm secure in it and I understand where I'm from, who my father is, where I'm headed, how it all turns out. When I understand that, then we can endure betrayal and hypocrisy when we are confident of God's love. I want to give you a go-to verse to refresh your memory of the nature of God's love. Here, here it is. This, this, anytime you're wondering, I wonder if God really loves me. Well, you need to go to Psalm 136.1. Psalm 136.1 says in the New King James Version, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Let me read it in the ESV, English Standard Version. It says, uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. He says, well, that's a wonderful verse. We read the whole chapter. It says it 26 times in a row. 26 times it says, God is love and his, God is good and his love never runs out. Let me just make an announcement to you this morning. Whatever you're going through, whatever's happening in your life, no matter how difficult it is, you still have hope because there's another side. There's another side of what's going on in your life. And I just want you to know, whatever, whatever you're going through, whatever's happening, whatever difficulty, I just want you to know, God is good and his love never runs out. Can you say that with me this morning? God is good and his love never runs out. It never runs out. It never runs out. It never, Randy, you got to sing a song about that. Not long ago, you sang it about his love never running out, never running dry, never, it never ends. His love for us. You can endure a lot when you know you're loved. You know, in this passage, we find out that the, that, that little group of 12 was not totally pure. I got an announcement for you this morning. The church of Jesus Christ, no matter which one you're talking about, is never totally pure. Never. It's not 100% true, authentic Christians, even among us. It's never totally pure. Just like a mixed multitude went up out of Egypt, there is a mixed multitude that is present in the church. It is possible also to have outer washings and practice memorial rituals and still be lost. This man, Judas, who was among them, who betrayed Christ, had his feet washed, 
and he partook of the inaugural Lord's Supper. Oh, it just worries me so much how many people think because they've been baptized and they participate in the Lord's Supper that they are gaining some sort of grace that's saving their soul. Listen, these are memorials and remembrances. These are not methods of gaining God's favor. Oh, it is so important. So there was Judas. Judas sat at the inaugural Lord's Supper with all the rest, but in his heart, he was going to betray Jesus before they started any of it. Here's another thought. I want you to understand this about Judas. Seeing signs does not always produce faith. Seeing signs, wonders, miracles. The Jewish leaders saw many miracles, but only got angrier in their rejection of Christ. Judas saw every sign, heard every teaching, observed every character trait of Jesus, but he rejected Jesus and he craved power and money. Truly, the pathway to hell can be found right at the gateway of heaven. One of you will betray me, Jesus said. Who is it, Lord, asked John. Well, it's the one to whom I give the tidbit of bread when I dip it. Do you know that Judas, now just think about this, how close was Judas? He wasn't just this obscure, he wasn't just this guy that was off in the distance, marginal, just kind of following from a distance over there. Oh, when Jesus was able to reach with the bread and sop it in the and dip it in the sop and to extend it to Judas, it indicates to me that the one with his head leaning against his bosom on his right side was John, and the one who was going to betray him was Judas, and he was on the left side. You can be very close to salvation and be eternally lost. You can be very close to the pathway to heaven and die and go to hell. You can be, you can know the truth, but if you don't accept, believe, and throw yourself on the author of the truth as your Savior, confessing your sin and asking him to save you, you can know all the answers and die and go to hell. Have you called on Jesus? You say, I don't believe in that hell fire preaching. That's why our churches of America are in the shape they're in. Hmm. You know, we hear people say sometimes, well, if I had been there to see the signs, I would have no problem in believing. Let it be forever dismissed from your mind. We have the light of truth, the love of God demonstrated at the cross, and we can believe and be saved. And we as believers should not be surprised by hypocrisy, uh, but we should grieve hypocrisy. Jesus was not surprised by Judas. He was deeply affected Verse number 21 says he was troubled in his spirit. It's the same word troubled we saw back when, he, when the water was stirred there when the man wanted to step down the paralytic. It's troubled. It's really agitated. Jesus was troubled. He was heartbroken. We tend in our lives to dismiss a traitor, a hypocrite, a person who's pretending. But Jesus was even grieved over Judas because he knew his destiny and he knew his suicide was coming shortly. So let's recognize this. The presence of Judas among the disciples throughout the course of Jesus' mission did not prevent the completion of the purpose of the Son, nor the coming of the Spirit, nor the witness of the apostles, nor the going of Jesus to the world in ministry through them. 
the presence of a betrayer, the presence of a hypocrite, the presence of a false believer, the presence of a demon-inspired and later indwelled person did not stop what God was doing. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stop it. He said, Pastor, I just, I keep hearing this one and that one. It's just denied the faith and walked away. Listen, that, I'm sorry. I grieve. I, I'm just so, I, it breaks my heart to know people that have looked at the truth and walked away from it. But we cannot stop bearing precious seed, the word of God to people because Jesus said, I will build my church. Let's keep going. Let's keep serving God. You say, well, I know there's a pastor. I'm just hearing God. Somebody sent me something this week. All these denominations, entire denominations are denying the faith. They're denying the truth. They no longer preach the gospel. (laughs) I'm sorry. I wish they wouldn't do it. But what does that have to do with us? Preach the truth. Tell the truth. Share the truth. Live it out. Love God. Love people. Oh, it's so important. The presence of charlatans and hypocrites in the church should never prevent the progress of the gospel, nor should it prevent our witness to the world. We got one more little passage to read, and I want you to hear this, and we'll be done. Verses 31 through 35. So when Jesus had gone out, he said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How amazing. Jesus said something about I'm going away and where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you'll come later. And once again, Peter, who had a foot-shaped mouth, did it again. He stepped, no, sir, it ain't going to happen. That's the following verse. Not, I'm not going to let anybody bother you. I'm with you. I'm sticking with you. I'm, I'm going to death with you. And Jesus turned and said three times before the cock's done crowing three times. You're going to deny me. So this situation of him going away is very significant. Because with the absence of Jesus, we get to chapter 14, we're going to find out how troubled they were in heart. And he has to say to them, don't be troubled in heart. Don't let this stir you up. I'm going away. I know and that just, that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit with your theology and your thinking because you thought I was going to start the kingdom right here, right now. We're going to get into that next week. But look, look here now. He stops right here and he said, that's not the point. He loves them. Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Hosea eleven four, I drew them with gentle cords of cords of kindness and with bands of love. I was to them as those who take the yoke off the neck. Isn't that wonderful when somebody gets saved, you got the yoke of sin and the only one who can take that weight off is Jesus. How many of you know what it is to have sin taken away from you? Say amen. Amen. We're not gonna pay the penalty of it. We're not under the domination of it and the and sin does not have to rule jesus lifts it right off oh my goodness 
There's a lot of glorifying going on in these verses. The Father is glorified in the Son, and the Son is glorified by and in the Father. And we can't glorify the Father and ignore the Son, folks. And neither can we glorify the Son without glorifying the Father. In fact, he writes again in 1 John, and he says, if you don't have the Father, you don't have the Son. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. If you deny either one, you don't have either. So when you hear people talking about Allah, is the same God, can't be because they don't have the Son. So important. This glory thing goes back to chapter 12 and verse 23. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Well, this hour of glory is the hour of his crucifixion. What a glorious plan. Amazing plan. Look how Paul, he contemplated this thing. He thought about it and he says, for as you were once disobedient to God, you have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these have also become disobedient that through mercy, through the mercy shown, they may also obtain mercy. Verse 32 is, is a mountain peak of scripture. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on them all. The whole of creation, every man, woman, boy, and girl is born under the condemnation of sin because because by the sin of one man, death entered the world and death by sin. So death is passed upon all men. Not fair. I wasn't there. I didn't eat the fruit. Oh, but if Jesus didn't condemn the whole world in Adam, he would not be able to save the whole world in one man, Jesus. One man sinned and we all became guilty. One man obeyed and died for us and we can all be made righteous. Praise the Lord. How many of you believe in Jesus today? Say amen. Well, you were condemned in Adam, but you are saved in Jesus. One man sinned, one man obeyed, and we're all saved because of it. So I didn't come for the theology lesson, but you needed it and I needed it. Oh, it's so important. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it shall be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him are all things to him be. And you know the word coming. To him be glory. You know, the greatest pinnacle of glory was the death of Jesus on the cross to pay for our sins. God redeemed creation itself and all of those that will believe through the act of obedience of one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. You wonder how smart God is? Only God would think of that. Oh, my goodness. Jesus loved his own to the end, verse number one. He didn't lose a one of them. Jesus is leaving the world, he said in verse 33 and 36. But Jesus' love is staying in the world and is visible when his disciples love one another. Ah, Jesus is leaving, but his love staying. Jesus is going to go sit down at the right hand of the Father, but the power of Jesus is still present in the person of the Holy Spirit. This old commandment, you know, it wasn't a new thing to say, love your neighbor as yourself. That's Old Testament, but nobody could do it. Here's the new thing about it. Under the new covenant, now we can obey that command because of why? Well, because Romans 5, 5 says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
How can I love my enemy? How can I love those that despitefully use me? How can I love those people that are working against us? How can I love that person who's living in the, in the, in the deepest pit of sin? How can I do this? It's not in me. It's not in my flesh. In my flesh dwells no good thing, Paul has said. But there's something else that dwells in me. The love of God has been poured out in my heart by the spirit that he has given. How many of you have a little bit different attitude toward people around you because Jesus is in your life? Say amen. You see that? He is the loving one. Brethren, love one another. It's going to be your identifying factor. Love one another. Let the world know who you are and whose you are by the love you have one for another. Pastor, I just can't do it. You're right. You can't. But the Holy Spirit can help you to love. And so what is this about? So, Pastor, you named this thing true love. So what is the truth about love? Well, love seeks to serve. Jesus set the example. Love seeks and is is available to sacrifice. Jesus set the example. And love is selfless. And Jesus set the example. And love does it all. In humility. And Jesus set the example. Do you know who you are, child of God? Do you know whose you are? Do you know that you're headed to heaven? And do you know what you have? Be encouraged. Strengthen yourselves in the word of the Lord. Understand the promise of Jesus. Understand the promise of the Holy Spirit. Understand where you came from, why you're here, what your destiny is, and who is empowering you to live in this life. Then again, believers, are you able to put yourself in the position of a servant? Does pride keep you from helping, serving certain people or groups of people? Do you need to confess an attitude of superiority? Oh, listen, do we think we are superior to Jesus? If there's someone you can't serve, there's no one Jesus can't serve. Do we think we are superior to Jesus? Whoa. This is the toughest one. Do you love other believers as Jesus loved you? The world needs to see us love one another, folks. They need to see us. Oh, it happened this week in the family of Gene Coe with Tom's passing. Oh, what a beautiful story as they loved one another, as Christians loved Gene. This one is so important. Do you love each other? Do you do it intentionally, sacrificially, with forgiveness and steadfast service and all with a spirit of humility? Long chapter. Try to shorten it for you. We're going to sing. Sing these songs from your heart. Think about these things that we've shared this morning. And understand that true love, true love And the truth about love tells us that true love does exist. It exists among those who have been loved by God. Let's love one another.